you are not listening to the BBC. It is not seven o'clock on Sunday.
and now it is time for Reginald Merriweather to bring you more adventures from his magic radio. Hello there. It's a wonderful treat to me that you stayed up late just to join in with my little program. So snuggle up and gather round and let's all go on a trip together. Would you like that? I'm sure that you would. You know, I've really enjoyed reliving my youth in these new magic radio programs, as I like nothing more than exposing myself to a brand new audience and tantalizing them with my knob twiddling as I tune my old time-traveling radio into some of the most fascinating things which never appeared on British radio. Ah, did you know that I used to be famous? Oh, yes, I did. My regulars know only too well that long before your mother was born, I was the king of the airwaves in every home in the 1950s, and my children's programs went out to an eager audience which would make any of today's celebrities green with envy. This was before television, of course, in the days when the radio was the must-have device of the day. Every home had several, and every night the whole family would sit down and be entertained by all manner of things, from politics and news to drama and opera, music and game shows to science fiction and comedy. And I was there, right in the thick of it, bringing the best of all those things to a hungry horde of junior listeners whom I called my Valpunks. I did. We had a club song and a badge and everything. We were a happy gang, we were. Yes, but now all I have is my memories and the chance to relive all that again with you, my dear listener, as we revive the golden days of a very famous program which was entitled Uncle Reggie's Magic Radio. Yes, you see, I've traveled a long way to be here with you today. Oh, yes, I have. Not in miles, no. I'm still here in my holiday cottage in Skipton, but in terms of time. You see, since the last episode, I've been away in the future for decades, having all sorts of wild adventures with my good friend and compatriot, Bradley. And one day, I'll tell you all about them. But But for now, all you need to know is that I'm here and raring to go. Shall we kick things off with some music then? Mm. I know that you always like that. 
you write and tell me so. Yes, you do. Uh, okay, then. So, how about this? Uh, this is the Henry Hall Orchestra, and a completely unfrightening song called The Bogeyman. <laughs> Scary Mary. <laughs> Take it away, Henry. <laughs>
Um, Harold Wilson led the Labour Party to victory in the UK general election, and England won the World Football Cup. It was the year that I joined a pirate ship. That's right, I was there right in the very beginning of pop radio, in the days when it was unleashed and dangerous. And I was something of a veteran even in those days, but that's why they asked me. I was something of a father figure to the youngsters who were snapping at my heels, and I was happy to share my extensive broadcasting techniques and indeed radio technology skills, but there was a lot of work to do. As you can imagine, the scene was all cooped up on a fishing trawler for weeks on end, and we were not only the voices on air, but the electrical technicians and the sailing crew as well. But it wasn't all hard work. Oh, no. How we used to party after the sun had gone down below the yard arms. <laughs> As I say, I was in charge of the transmitter room, a situation which was the boat's eventual downfall after my attempts to fit temporal solenoid inducers. But that's another story for another time. You see, in the 1960s, there was very little for young people to listen to on the radio, and the BBC was deaf to the explosion of popular music which was around at the time. So, naturally, stations in Europe, like Luxembourg, built themselves a huge transmitter, and on a good night you could pick them up across most of the east coast of the UK, and then came the stations which were funded by the Americans and carried a lot of advertising sponsorship. They were based, uh, based is the right word, on boats which sailed secretly around the British Channel and the Irish Sea. It was all very clandestine and exciting. But they filled a need, you see. There was no Radio 1, and certainly no commercial stations like Absolute or Magic. No, we blazed a trail for them to emerge a decade later, when the government conceded that rock and roll was here to say, and that a junior audience demanded something different from the dinner-suited presenters of the BBC's light program, and all the condescending drivel which they output the youngsters in which included me at one time, unfortunately. But anyway, they sacked me, so I had revenge issues to deal with. <laughs> yes. Anyway, I did a few different shows on Radio Sandra. That's what they were called. Uh, uh, they were named after the boat, obviously. One such show was a late-night rock program, but another was the weekly breakfast show. I had such fun doing that, and on one particular occasion we were very lucky to have Stanley Knott from the legendary Yorkshire boy band The Beauty stay with us on board. He brought all kinds of mischief with him and made our trip something of a... trip, as you know, and... Uh, shall I see if I can find a broadcast at that time? I think that it might be fun if I can locate it. I'll just twiddle a bit here and a jiggle a bit there as we check these coordinates. Uh, that's it, this sounds about right. Uh, okay then, here we go through the porthole shaped speaker. Officials at Jettington Zoo have said that the panda has not been harmed. That was the news. It's four minutes past eight. Jingle Plastic. Radio 
Yes, that's right. That was the news, but this is me. I'm Reggie K, coming at you live and dangerous, bringing you all the hits you're wanting to hear and all the cool vibes just you know that you need. This is the breakfast sound of wonderful Radio Sandra, coming at you on 1340 AM from the high seas. It's cool, but it's hot. Oh yes, Hepsford, it's going to be a hot one today. Top temperatures of 35 degrees with some cloud in the north, but a clear day all over southern England. Perfect to just sit out in your garden or trip out in the country. But whatever you do this bank holiday weekend, stay right here with Sandra, and we'll look after you all the way. Now, here comes the music. Well, you know what? I woke up this morning and you were on my mind, which is a sensationally remarkable. And that is the name of the red-hot hit fresh from San Francisco's jumping juvenile toy makers, We Five. Spin that platter, Mr. Hitman. Make my ears happy. Head of the Beauty Beats, Stanley. Who isn't weird at all? Not a bit, and certainly not up my sleeve, are you, Stanley? What? You're not up my sleeve, are you, Stanley? Right, it's too early in the morning to be obscure. You're slightly scaring me now. I do apologize, Stanley. I'm just a little bit excited that you're here. Shall we crack on? Please do. Stan, uh, can I call you Stan? That's my name. Well, you were one half of the songwriting duo of Stanley Knox and Trevor O'Good, but the shock horror story that you've just revealed to us is that the band has split up. Is this right? Yes, my it is. So does this mean the end of classic not so good pop tunes? Sadly, that's the truth. Why? We've gone full circle. It was over. Trevor's gone off to do his own thing. He's bought a sheep farm in Graffington, I heard, and Winky the drummer has started writing children's books or working in a fairground or something. I don't know. What about Kevin? Oh? The bass player. Oh, yeah, I'd forgotten about him. Everyone always forgets about the bass player, don't they? Yeah, we've had a few. So tell me, Stanley, Stan, what led to the breakup? You had a meteoric rise to fame a few years back with your first single, Hey Up Love, and then your second album, Dr. Dingle's Stray Dogs Club Band, but now this, what happened? When we came back from India, my mind had been opened. The guru, how your father, taught me that serenity lay inside myself. I had to follow my own path. You know what I mean? Really? Yeah, and I also met Samanj, and she's the love of my life, Reg. Together, we're like two halves of a heartbeat. Samanj? Yeah, means half moon. What a full moon, then. Raise it. So, it was you that broke up the band, is that right? Out of my band, I do what I like. Besides, Samanj said it was time for the change. How did that go down with the others? They hated us on it, which is why we all had to go our separate ways. In your time, the band had become bigger than, well, Elvis. Reg, we were. 
are bigger than Buddha. That would be difficult. Buddha's quite a fat fella. I don't mean physically, you understand. Quite. Well, what does the future hold for Stanley Knott? As Guru Alji Father says, prophecy is most difficult, especially in relation to the future. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that, but I do know that you have a brand new album out, don't you? I do, Reg, you're right. The album's called Not Now, isn't it? It is. It's going to be called Get Knotted. You know, as a nod to the breakup, but these days I'm very non confrontational, you know. So I decided that this was a better title. It's all about me right now. But it says not, and your name's not. So you left out the letter S. Hmm. S is a very sneaky letter. Besides, you didn't scan properly. It's a play on words. Indeed. Well, shall we listen to a little bit of it now? Yes, let's. Tell me about it. You've something of a new direction going on, don't you? Yeah, I wanted to get back to my roots, so it's a blend of skittle, three jazz and traditional Indian sitar music. Have you a name for this kind of music? I'm calling it Skittaz. Skittaz? Yeah. Do you think it's going to be popular with the kids? If I tell them it is, yeah. Huh. Well, there's a very bold announcement from Stan, one half of the hit-making, songwriting duo of not-so-good tunes. Here we are then, from the new album, Not Now, let's hear the brand new single, Give Meditation a Go. Well, that was Stan Lotz from Pop Sensation, The Beauties, who are no more. But the music lives on. 
Check out his new album, Get Knotted. Not now. And not now. Is there been Woolworths and all good record shops from Monday? It's psychedelic and skiffle-tastic. Of course, I once had a hit record, you know. Oh, yes, I did. Here's a blast from the past. This is The Seven Wretches and a dippy ditty entitled Mr. Sandman, Ding Dong. <laughs> Remember this golden classic. Play the kids just for you. That's far too good to just let go like that. <laughs> I remember that. It was a record that I released way back, which became a hit. And you know, I think I have a copy of it somewhere. And then I'll have a dig around and see if I can find it. Then I'll play the whole thing for you. Would you like that? Terrific. That's a date then. Stay tuned till the end of the program and you will hear the original. Ooh, such fun. Well, I think it's that time of the show where I read out your letters. So hit it, Fatty. Let's get this crazy train rolling. Fabuloso. Okie dokie. Let's see what Terry... That's my postman has brought me this week. And then, as usual, my mailbags are bursting for seams, and I've only got time to pop a couple out for you, but let's see what we've got, shall we? Oh, this looks interesting. This is a very neatly written letter from someone called Noah. Hello, Noah. It's lovely to hear from you. Noah says, Hello, Reggie. I had a remarkable dream about you just recently. Oh, did Noah? How curious. I hope it wasn't frightening. He goes on to say, I, I found you in a huge building underground and you had lots of old paintings hanging everywhere and many interesting objects in display cabinets. I say, you, you haven't been snooping around my house, have you? It sounds suspiciously accurate. Anyway, he, he continues, the point is, Reg, I'd like to ask, have you been changing history to conceal the fact that you have been colluding with the rich and powerful and accumulating a vast personal collection of art treasures for your own pleasure? <clears throat> ah, well, no, that's a, that's a rather impertinent question, uh, but for now, all I can say is that I have no comment. But indeed, I do have a rather large... What on earth? Who could this be? Don't they know that I'm busy? Oh dear, well, I, I suppose I should answer it now that it has interrupted us. I, I do apologize, children. Just one moment. I'm sure it will be a, a call center or some such trying to sell me PPI compensation or something like that. Won't be a Is that the young man from the Animals Rescue Call Center? Because if it is, I do not want to sponsor a mountain lion. Now, if you'd ask me about him, the cat monkey, I might have been a bit more sympathetic. I always fancied one of those. No, Reginald. It's me. 
broke the clock. It is nearly time for me to go and for you to wobble off up the stairs to Bedlington. Yes, so before I disappear, I'd like to finish you off with a little story from my big old storybook. Would you like that? Good, and I've been writing stories in my journals for as long as I can remember. And I call them my fireside fantasies. I do. Let's see if I can find you something to fall asleep to. Yeah, here we go. This is from an anthology which I wrote, which was called The Apartment Block. And this chapter is entitled Bobby the Sweetheart. The sun shone brightly between the tall brownstone buildings of 29th and 3rd that Monday morning. Jimmy D'Angelo sat on the front steps of his father's shop and watched the street scene with all the detached indifference of any eight-year-old. People were whistling, greetings were exchanged, paths were swept, trash was being taken out, business was being taken care of. At the end of the block, a large black car turned the corner. It moved like a storm cloud, silently and menacingly down the gentle neighborhood street scene. Jimmy watched, his knees pulled up to his chest, and way above him, the shop sign proudly announced, D'Angelo's Family Butchers. And the sedan drew to a silent and swaying halt outside the shop, and Jimmy could hear shouting from the inside. The window slowly lowered, and a fat man with dark glasses leaned out and said in a quiet and friendly voice, Go tell your father he's got a delivery. Jimmy jumped up and eagerly ran inside, calling, Dad, Dad, but there was no need. Bobby had seen the car arrive from an upstairs window, and he was almost prepared for them. This way, gentlemen, he said as he ushered them quickly through a back door. Glancing left and right, making sure that no one saw too much, the two darkly dressed men very clumsily pushed a third man to take across his mouth through the door. Bobby was a small but athletic looking man in his youth. He had been a formidable boxer and a runner. But nowadays he saved all his energy for his work, which kept him busy enough. Then he was wearing a, a green boiler suit, rubber boots, and was in the process of putting on rubber gloves as the two men forced the hand tied and whimpering man into a chair by the window. They stood at either side of him, hands lowered and clasped in front of them, as if in respect. Bobby was shaking his head and clucking his tongue as he gathered various tools around the preparation room. He kept looking over at the squirming man. It was clear that although he didn't always enjoy his work, he had enough professionalism to make an excellent job of it every time. Jimmy jumped up on the counter at the far end of the room and sat on his hands, watching. 
body pulls some galvanized aluminium bathtubs from a steel cupboard and kicks them across the floor to a tiled area with a sloping floor. Weather's being kind to us today, gentlemen, he said with urbane calmness. The two nodded their agreement with raised eyebrows. It's a nice day to go away, isn't it? He added as he stepped towards the frightened man and ripped the duct tape from his mouth. It wasn't me! He immediately spluttered. I didn't do it! Anyone on the street will tell you that! I just need another 24 hours, that's all! Bobby looked at him with an expression of understanding as he rolled the tape into a neat ball. I can get the 7,000, I just need more time! The man had started to cry, and had also soiled himself with fear. Bobby tipped his head to one side and then away. Gently, he said, But the man paid no attention to this, and continued to plead his ignorance. Look, Bobby said suddenly and firmly, which made everyone jolt. I'm just a clean-up man. If you have been brought here, it means that all efforts to secure your freedom have been, shall we say, relinquished. He clasped his hands like a humble servant and continued, Too late, my friend. Way too late. He suddenly became very physical and moved swiftly and purposefully around the prep room, dragging the trembling man with him. With a single slash down the sleeves with a short blade knife, he had removed the man's creased suit and shirt. He beckoned the two men to assist as he lifted the man into a vertical upside-down position and hung him by his tiny feet to a large hook on a track that ran around the room. Oh God, oh Jesus Christ, what are you going to do to me? Oh God, no! cried the man into the slightly echoing silence of the room. The two men stepped back to the window as before and almost filled the entire frame of the frosted glass behind. Bobby slid the man on the hook over to the blue tiled area and turned on the taps. He pushed one of the aluminium baths a little closer with his foot and picked up a long blade knife from the wooden worktops. With a shrug and almost apologetic eyes, he pushed down the chin of the man with his left hand, and as he wriggled, small change fell from his pocket and danced across the tiles. Thank you whispered Bobby with a single slice cut through the man's neck. <laughs> was the last meaningful sound that came from his mouth before the sounds turned into a gurgle. There was an enormous amount of blood pumping from his open wounds and splashed the tiled walls as Bobby used the shower spray to hose the man down. Very quickly, the pink water disappeared into the drain hole, and you could see the scattered silver and bronze coins. Carefully picking each one up, he sprayed them and dried the handful with his sleeve. Still kneeling, he called Jimmy over. There was a benign warmth in his eyes as he handed the money to him. Go put this in the poor box in the front of the shop, son. He ran, slipping through the plastic double doors to the shop beyond. Bobby was now able to concentrate on the job at hand. The man had just about stopped bleeding and was simply dripping rose-colored droplets. He 
kick the glass out over the body and made a deeping seam across the stomach and lengthways. His innards fell like any other awful into the bathtub, and with a slice here and a cut there, it was all freed. After a little foraging about, Bobby found the thing that he had been looking for and placed it in a steel dish on the countertop. The small dog ran in through the open door and scattered between the tables, skidding to a halt a short distance from him. Rising up on its haunches, it whimpered. Bobby looked over and smiled, tossing a small slice of liver which had caught midair with a single leap. Jimmy and the two men laughed at each other as it ran away with its breakfast. Next, using an electric saw, he severed the head and laid it gently on the worktop also. Its panic-stricken face frozen in the middle of the word God. He handled the corpse like any other side of cow or pig at this point, and with the saw he quickly removed the arms and threw them into the second aluminium box. The only difference was that this side of ham was still wearing trousers. He forced the powerful humming blade into the spine of the body and cut it cleanly in two. Now there was just a pair of legs hanging from a hook, their shoes sparkling in the bright morning sunlight. Lifting the legs down was now an easy job, and Bobby clutched them against the grey splashed green oak walls and heaved them up onto the wooden chopping table. Using the same short blade knife, he quickly removed the trousers to reveal the bruised and pale legs. Throwing the entire suit into the corner of the tiled area, he then removed the shoes. He studied them for a moment, reading the size printed on the inside. Then he threw them also on top of the clothes. Jimmy was watching through the transparent plastic doors, and the two men by the window were snickering the private joke between them. Gentlemen, please, a little respect for the customers, said Bobby in a tone of genuine concern. With a few well-aimed chops from his cleaver, he had reduced the lower torso into several tasty-looking cuts of meat. He threw the cut and prepared sections into the bathtub and rolled the wooden table over to the draining area. He turned on the sprays and quickly gave the table a scrub down, then left it to be pounded by the water. He picked up the clothes and put them into a black plastic bag which he tied and then put inside another plastic bag and tied a second time. He threw this by the back door to be put out with the other trash later. The men chatted between themselves and smoked. Bobby frowned and hissed. Hey, this is a food area. Give me a break. Do you want the authorities on me? He switched on a large red enameled machine with a funnel top. It crunched and ground itself to life as Bobby began feeding bits of meat into it. Using a swift chopping and slicing movement, he quickly reduced the prime cuts and offal into fresh, pink mints. Before long, there was nothing left in the bathtub. He calmly walked over to the taps and turned off the water. The shower head splashed noisily in the silence. He wheeled the table back into its place in the center of the room and stacked the tubs on their ends to dry against the tiles. He stepped out of his boots and removed his gloves and climbed out of the boiler suit which he threw into a laundry dumper by the storeroom. He took the grey head by the hair and kissed its forehead, 
before wrapping it in cheese muslin so that it looked nothing more offensive than a gouda cheese. Here are gentlemen, give the boss. The men turned and smiled a vacant and dumb smile. Nice work, well done. Yeah, thank you, Bobby. Hey, Mr. D'Angelo to you, he said, pointing with a blade as he wiped it clean, grinning. The men turned to leave by the back door, and as they stepped out into the sunlight, he called after them. Hey, take out the trash, will you? Bobby went back to the worktop and reached for the item that he had saved from earlier. Jimmy was watching him with the admiration of an adoring son. I love you, Dad, he said suddenly. Bobby stopped in his tracks and looked down at this scruffy kid, looking up at him with big, trusting eyes. He choked for a moment and then said in a quiet voice, I love you too, son. He took the almost beating heart and wrapped it in greaseproof paper and tied it neatly with string into a proper parcel. Here, he said, take this to Mrs. Rossetti with my compliments and tell her how sorry I was to hear of her husband's tragic and untimely death. The boy grinned and scampered out through the back door with a little warm package. Bobby walked over to a small hand basin and washed his hands. Checking his reflection in the mirror, he wiped a couple of red spots from his forehead, and drying his hands on a clean towel, he surveyed the spotless room in all its fresh cleanliness. The tiles sparkled. In the front of the shop, he checked his watch. It was a few seconds before nine, and he straightened his tie and let the roller blind spin its way to the top of the door as he flipped the sign to open. An elderly stranger was standing on the doorstep with a big smile and a shopping bag. Good morning, ma'am. What a fine spring day it is today, he said as she stepped into the darker, meteor-smelling interior of the shop. And what can I tempt you with today? You're not from this neighborhood, are you? He said, with a proprietor's politeness. No, I'm visiting friends, she said, with charmed affectation. Ah, grinned Bobby. Then you will love our speciality. Fresh today. Prime cut beef burgers. There you are, then. Wasn't that a lovely tale? Yes, and I do hope that it gives you lovely dreams. Well, as I promised earlier on, I've managed to find a record that I've had squirreled all the way for more than 50 years. It was too good to just let you hear that scratchy version of the pirate broadcast, and now that I've found it, you can enjoy it in all its stereo loveliness. You will see, back in the summer of 1961, things weren't going so well with the magic radio, and I kept having a few, um, shall we say, mishaps. I'd often jump into the future a few years with disastrous results. Excuse me. Mind you, one such jaunt managed to save my life. <laughs> <laughs>
when I read all about myself in the newspaper clipping which my good friend Ziggy gave me. Oh, yes, you see, yes, uh, uh, <coughs> I gave that Timothy Brewster a run for his money. I did, yes. Well, oh, important plot points, you see. So, I did rather mess things, uh, mess things up with the continuum, which is uh, why there is very little evidence of this next song ever being released. Let alone being it a, 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 being a, a, a top ten hit, which it was. Oh yes, I, I believe the trust. And when you hear it, you'll see why. You see, uh, what happened was that on this particular afternoon, uh, I was so busy trying to get myself back to where I'd set off from that I accidentally managed to assemble a room full of myself. Which is not a good situation, as I'm sure you can imagine. I, I, I do have uh, quite some difficulty controlling myself, let alone a, a room full of myself. Anyway, uh, whilst I was busy trying to regain order and get everyone back where they belonged, the rest of them, uh, me, uh, became quite agitated and bored. And together we decided to have a sing-song. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds rather peculiar, but it, it went on to become a smash. As I say, uh, anyway, uh, enough waffle from a confused old man. Let's listen to me accompanying myself in this 1950s classic vocal harmony tune, Mr. Sandman. Take it away, me. Well, it looks like we're all here. How many of us are there? Oh, I don't know. Shall we see? Okay. Well, there's me. And there's me. And there's me. Hello. 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 I suppose that means that you see seven of us. Have you finished mending that radio yet? No, there seems to be quite a bit more to do with it. I just need to twiddle my knob a little bit more, and I'll have it sorted out very soon. Oh, I do wish you'd hurry up. Oh, do be quiet. I do the best that I can. We've been waiting ages. I'll have it sorted very soon. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm bored. Yes, me too. Shall we have a sing song? What a splendid idea. Okay, then. Here's one that I think we all know. Ooh, what's that? Here we go, then. Mr. Sandman. Please turn on your magic beam. 
You can be found on Facebook as Reginald Merriweather, as well as on Twitter at The Real Reginald. This episode will be broadcast again next Sunday at the same time, and the next new episode will be broadcast on the last Sunday of September, which is the 29th. All the podcasts are available on the website, as well as iTunes. But now, it's very nearly 11 o'clock.